0: Alright, today on Stock Stories, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're not going to do our normal company analysis today, um, but as promised, we're going to talk about our first mental model. Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 10. All right. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Alex, your stock storyteller. Thanks for tuning into stock stories. We finally made it to 10 episodes. I appreciate you listening. I really do. I've been seeing the download numbers so far and yeah, I've noticed that it's definitely not a huge number yet, but you are out there and you are listening to my voice and I really appreciate and respect that. So thank you for, uh, coming this far along with me in the journey, in this series, in this project that I've started. And yeah, so, so far, how, where have we been? So far, we've talked about a few companies in the S&P 500 so far. We've talked about a couple financial companies, Visa and Discover. We talked about Sherwin-Williams, Payton Coatings Company. We talked about General Electric, which was the first company analysis. Um, so we're going to keep Going down this path, but I also wanted to mix it up as promised early on in the beginning episodes and talk about mental models. And let me talk about why mental models are so powerful, real quick. It's mental models are like a toolkit for your brain, they are concepts that change your way of thinking so that you can apply them to different circumstances depending on the circumstance. In order to make better decisions and really as investors this is what we're all about we're about making good decisions and as human beings we have to make good decisions just in our life so this all kind of ties together between our goals for our portfolio or our investment strategy and our goals for our life so without further ado let's talk about our first mental model which is inversion. Alright, so the first mental model in stock stories is inversion. And this is a very simple one, but a very powerful one. So what is inversion? It's, it's a method for solving a problem by looking at it backwards rather than forwards. That's it. Simply put, that's what inversion is. It's just working your way backwards instead of forwards. And it is such a simple concept for us to grasp, but it's it's really useful. Um, The idea of inversion was formalized or often attributed to this German mathematician. Uh, His name was Carl Gustav Jacob Jacobi, so mathematician Jacobi, and he was known as saying invert, always invert. When he was working on his theories in order to come up with uh, different mathematical formulas and different problems he was trying to solve, he would try to work backwards, figure out what was he, what was the end goal, what was he trying to accomplish, and what was he not trying to accomplish. So he just worked his way backwards, and that led to him producing some good work. So we can apply that same thing in our life and in our investing styles. It doesn't have to be in uh, coming up with theorems uh, related to whatever. So I think it it helps to provide examples. Um, but let's talk about the life part first. So this mental model is powerful because avoiding something that's clearly stupid can really help take you to the right place. So a lot of times people talk about, I want to be successful. I want X, Y, Z thing in their life. They want more love. They want more happiness. Of course, we all want all of those things to varying degrees and in different ways but what if we looked at the problem and we flipped it and said what do I not want? What do I absolutely want to avoid? Charlie Munger the famous investor who's the right hand man at Berkshire Hathaway with Warren Buffett he has said before I want to figure out where I'm going to die so that I never go there. Kind of jokingly saying that look I want to find out what things I shouldn't be doing so that I can be successful. Um, so just some examples from life. So what would be a prescription for absolute and total life failure? So let's explore this. Uh, and let's, let's say, um, your real goal is you want to marry the perfect person for you. You want to find the one. Well, let's think about who you don't want to marry. Uh, You wouldn't want to marry someone who is abusive, someone who is not loyal to you, someone who is a heavy drug user, someone who steals from you or lies to you, um, things like that. And then, from the broader perspective of, okay, how do I want a successful life? What's a prescription for absolute misery? Well, what would you want to do to achieve misery? You would lie to people, you would cheat. You would steal from people. You would avoid thinking about things because, you know, that's too hard, right? You would consume more than you produce. You would give up on things that appear difficult. You would always give in to fear and run away from your problems. And you would just be entirely selfish and not think about anyone else's welfare. So, that's an absolute prescription for misery. If if you want to fail, do those things. You know, never try it, anything in your life. Uh, feed yourself junk food and alcohol and drugs perpetually. And, yeah, you're going to die. Or you're going to have an absolute miserable life. Um, cut off all the connections in your life with other people that are meaningful. And, yeah, so... By framing it this way, we see very clearly, like, oh, man, like, I want to avoid all of that stuff, right? So what can I do to optimize? Well, all right, well, that leads us to what's the opposite of lying while telling the truth, cheating while being honest, stealing. Oh, I'm actually going to give to someone out of the kindness of my heart, have that altruistic motive, Um, consuming more than you produce. I want to be a person that produces more than I consume. I want to give more to the world than I'm asking in return um, because I'm coming from a place of abundance and a place of surplus. So uh, yeah, just a, just some ideas there for life. But what about investing? Let's now turn our attention to how can this specifically help us with investing in our portfolio and specifically stocks? So one thing that I thought of is, what would I want to avoid in my investing career? And one thing that I thought about was, well, okay, I know that if I want a successful portfolio of stocks, the success of that is going to be determined by the total return. And the total return are the dividends paid out to me as an owner and the rise in the share price of the company including any spinoffs or what have you. So all of that. So capital gains and dividends. All right, well, what are those ultimately driven by? It always comes back to the cash, at least from my perspective. It always comes back to how much is the company earning? How much is it going to be earning in the future? Those two things, the share price and the dividends, are going to ultimately be tied to that earnings number. And I'm not just talking about the earnings reported by Wall Street um, via the accounting principles that are in place. I'm talking about the true, real owner earnings, the amount of money and cash that is generated for shareholders. That number matters most to me as an investor. So what is one example of one parameter that I could look at and say, this thing would absolutely destroy the potential for future earnings well i want to avoid investing in companies with stagnant or decreasing sales over the long term Um, because if you have decreasing sales you probably have decreasing profit and decreasing profit leads to lower capacity to pay dividends to shareholders it leads to uh, ultimately a lower share price and maybe even bankruptcy maybe Uh, it's what's called permanent capital impairment, AKA you lose everything. You lose all the money you put in and you don't get it back. So that's what we want to avoid. So viewed from one frame of reference, we want to avoid companies with decreasing or stagnant sales because that's a sign to us that, Hey, things are not really going well. And unless this is a turnaround story, remember we talked about a few episodes ago, the different types of stocks There are turnaround stocks that can come back and have this rejuvenation, but I'm talking about stocks and companies that over long periods of time are trending downward and show absolutely no signs of coming around. Um, And the example I have for this is Neiman Marcus. So Neiman Marcus is not a publicly traded company. They are a private company that tried to go public a couple of years ago kind of flirted with an IPO, but frankly, the market wasn't really that interested in buying shares of Neiman Marcus, so they didn't raise the capital, and they withdrew the application to the, from the SEC. Um, so it's not like you can go out and buy shares of Neiman Marcus right now, but it is a department store that a lot of people know, and uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a good example for today. So Neiman Marcus, the luxury department store. You've probably seen them in malls across the country, they sell high-end clothing, uh, both women's and men's clothing. And you would think, like, oh, this is like a high-end store. They probably make a lot of money. Well, not, it doesn't necessarily correlate that a brand is, quote-unquote, luxury with actual profits that the business is generating. Sometimes this is the case. Um, for example, uh, Tiffany & Company The jeweler is a company that makes a lot of profits, uh, and it's in the luxury segment. But that's like jewelry, and that's a totally different thing economically. Um, But apparel and retail, even though it's luxury, Neiman Marcus has been struggling. So a few numbers for you. Back in 2011, they had sales of $4 billion. Okay, so this is a company that is a billion-dollar business, multi-billion-dollar business. Well, what about now? So in 2017, those sales have increased only to $4.7 billion. Now think about this. This is a seven-year period. Sales have only gone up by $0.7 billion over a seven-year period. And this is in good economic times. We haven't even had a recession in the past seven, eight years in America. So for sales only increased that much, how do you think sales are going to behave when there's a downturn? So let's look at the profits because it's not just about sales. What's the bottom line here? The profits in 2011, they went from $31 in the black to in 2017, they lost $531 million. So they went from making a little bit of money to losing over half a billion dollars. I mean, think about that. That's a lot. If you're employed at Neiman Marcus or you know someone who works there, I mean, maybe this business can survive somehow. It can be rebranded or I don't know. But this is a business that might not be around much longer, whether it's in the public or private sector. Um, But there's the thing it's. It's a business whose sales aren't growing, its profits are decreasing, and it's really struggling. So when I look at a company like that, I'm like, okay, if I want to be a successful investor, no, I'm not going to buy Neiman Marcus right now. Assuming, of course, it was publicly traded, which it's not. But just as an example, no, I would not buy a company like Neiman Marcus, especially when you consider the long-term trends right now of retailers that are really struggling and it's not just Neiman marcus i was doing a little bit of research for this episode and i was amazed at the number of retailers in the past couple of years that growing up as a kid i used to see all around town but now they're shutting tons of stores down they're shutting hundreds of their stores down um and a large part of that hey it's due to amazon the amazon effect as they say uh retail is struggling to compete with a very robust online platform that amazon has and it's not just amazon but they're the biggest player in the space um and so i think something like mall traffic is down 20 percent um since i think 2005 so over the past decade or so mall traffic has decreased significantly and uh So, yeah, so so think about those larger term trends and industry trends as well, Um, not just a specific company, but all this to say that, hey, like I want to avoid buying companies with declining profits and stagnant sales. If you just do that and invest in companies with improving sales and improving profits, maybe you won't. Hit the next Chipotle as far as returns go, but you're you'll insulate yourself from at least one more failure. And that's the whole point I'm trying to get to is try to insulate yourself from these risks. Identify the risks and insulate yourself from them. It leads to a higher probability of success. So always invert. Um, if you want to work at a problem whether it's investment related or in your life or somewhere in your job try to think about it from the opposite perspective how would you arrange this situation if you wanted the opposite thing to happen and then work your way backwards from there um so i'll leave you with that thanks for listening to stock stories uh episode 10 i've been having fun producing these for you and uh yeah Um, i'll catch you next week the information presented here on stock stories is for informational educational and entertainment purposes only You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.